Welcome to the Humble Hoof Podcast. My name is Alicia Harlov. This is a podcast for both horse owners and hoof care professionals, offering discussions into various philosophies on the health of the hoof and soundness of your horse. Please check us out on Facebook or at thehumblehoof.com. Fall is here, and those of you with easy keepers and metabolic horses need to be extra careful at turnout time. As the seasons change, the sugar content in grass increases, often leading to a seasonal spike in cases of founder. The folks at Equithrive have formulated products to help you navigate these potential pasture pitfalls. Equithrive's Metabarol is a pelleted supplement that is scientifically proven to support healthy metabolic function and a healthy inflammatory response in horses. It's bona fide joint and metabolic support all in one easy to feed pellet. Visit equithrive.com today and use the promo code HUMBLEHOOF to get 20% off your first order, plus free shipping. www.equithrive.com A special thank you to our wonderful sponsor, Cavallo. For our Humble Hoof listeners, they are offering 20% off their Cavallo Trek hoof boots using the coupon code HRN at checkout. The Trek is the world's most popular and versatile hoof boot and Cavallo's toughest trail boot, while also doubling as an option for therapy or rehab. The front closure system makes it easily adaptable to various hoof shapes, and the TPU upper design allows for maximum strength while minimizing weight for the comfort and ease of movement for your horse. These are recommended by vets and trainers and also loved as transport boots by barrel racers, ship jumpers, dressage riders, and everyone in between. Again, for 20% off a pair of treks, use the code HRN at checkout at cavallo-inc.com. I met Dr. Sherry Johnson at the NAEP Saratoga Vet and Farrier Conference in September 2023. I had seen a few of her sessions there and was super impressed by her incredible knowledge about equine lameness rehabilitation. And it's something that obviously I'm really passionate about. So I sought her out and asked if she would chat with me on the podcast. She actually has more than one rehab facility and she has done a lot of research on rehabilitation modalities, especially in related to things like tendon healing. I chat with her a little bit about her approach to rehab and what kind of things she does to help horses get back into work and lower the risk of re-injury. All right. So why don't we start with you telling us a little bit about your veterinary journey and how you became interested in rehab? Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me today, Alicia. I've been excited about this podcast and a huge fan of your work kind of since the beginning. So I'm honored to be with you today. And it's always awkward when I talk about myself, but a little bit of my background and kind of where I came from. I actually am from central Iowa originally. Um, I grew up on a row crop farm and had horses growing up my whole life, but certainly not like high-end show horses or anything super competitive like that. But from a really young age, I really enjoyed working with horses, working with animals in general. And I was the classic kid, right, that my parents were like, well, you'll totally grow out of this horse phase and this will not be a long-term thing for you. And I never grew out of it. (laughs) (laughs) I... I was obsessed from day one with horses. Um, All the clothes I wore as a kid were horses, like just absolutely horse crazy kid. 
So I did my undergraduate work at Iowa State University and kind of as a late decision in the game, decided to apply for veterinary school. I think I struggled with confidence a lot in undergrad of, you know, being smart enough, being good enough to be a veterinarian. And so it was kind of a late decision for me to try to campaign and make my way into veterinary school. So I actually did five years of undergrad before making that leap and then did my veterinary school at Iowa State University, Go Cyclones, and enjoyed my time there. I then transitioned into an equine-specific veterinary internship at Equine Medical Center of Ocala, or EMCO. And I consider them like family. That was one of the best years spent of my career down there, kind of transitioning from baby vet to more uh, big girl vet. And so that was a really worthwhile year. Um, And then I actually, you know, still, again, had always wanted to do rehab things and sports medicine things. But even in my internship year, my career path was not super clear to me. I think I knew in my gut long term what I wanted to do, but I wasn't exactly sure of the steps to get there. When I was young, my grandfather and my father were very instrumental in my love of horses and my love of animals and animal husbandry in general. And my goal was always to have a rehab facility and name it after my grandpa. My grandpa was tragically killed in a car accident uh, when I was an undergrad. And so my goal was always to make him super proud and honor him by having a rehab center and kind of naming it after him. And so as I was going through my internship, I knew I had this passion and this drive, but I also felt like I didn't know what I was doing in a sense, and that there was probably a lot more training opportunities that I could pursue to make myself better at the craft and be as as skilled of a veterinarian as possible for my equine patients. So it was at that point in time that I decided to apply to Colorado State University's um, combined residency program with Equine Sports Medicine LLC based out of North Texas. And they, the timing of the program didn't exactly align with my application date. So I ended up doing a year-long um, imaging fellowship with Dr. Myra Barrett at Colorado State University right before I started my residency. And I always tell people that was probably the single most productive, steep learning curve year of my entire career. It was absolutely amazing. So I did nothing but um, learn about imaging from Dr. Barrett for a full year, ultrasound, x-ray, MRI, bone scan, you name it. And all of those techniques I use every single day in my practice now. So that was huge. So did the year of imaging. Then I went through and did the combined residency with Equine Sports Medicine LLC in Colorado State University, which is basically a hybrid program between private practice and academia. So I did all of my clinical training at the major sanctioned AQHA quarter horse shows through Equine Sports Medicine's mobile unit. And that was under the direction of Drs. Alan Donnell, Dave Frisbee, and Josh Donnell were kind of my major mentors on the road, quote. And I did all of my academic work back at Colorado State University, mostly with Dr. Meyer Barrett, um, Dr. Melissa King, and again, Dr. Dave Frisbee. And so I had this really cool powerhouse of mentors that brought expertise both from the academic and private practice settings. And it really was the exact program I was looking for in terms of getting me to the next phase of my career. So 
I did get board certified in equine sports medicine and rehab through the college, so ACBSMR. I believe that was in 2019 that I, 2018 finished my residency, got board certified in 2019. And again, was still, even at that point, I was like, I have learned a lot and I'm doing great and I love what I'm doing, but I still feel like there's this nagging feeling, right? That there's more I could learn and more that I could contribute to the field. And so it was at that point in time, I actually became senior partner in equine sports medicine, LLC. And I also started a PhD program at Colorado State University. And the emphasis of that PhD program was orthopedic rehab techniques that are being utilized in humans, but not necessarily in horses quite yet. And so the major focus of my PhD work was investigating what's called blood flow restriction or BFR training in horses. And it's a super high-end rehab modality used for professional human athletes, aging population, even human patients with neurologic disorders. And it's widespread use in the human clinical setting, but really hadn't been, you know, investigated or used at a high level in horses. So that was the focus of my PhD work. Um, so alongside my PhD work and becoming senior partner, my partners, Dr. Josh Donnell and Dr. Cameron Sout, we actually um, purchased a rehab center in North Texas and started building our caseload there. Um, and we, there was kind of a syndicate originally of veterinarians locally funneling rehab caseload to that center. But Josh and Cameron and myself officially took that over. I believe it was in 2018, 2019, something like that. So we didn't start with very many horses, seven or eight horses in the barn. And we have expanded now to, we typically have about 40 horses in our care at our Whitesboro location. And as of April this year, we opened up our second rehab center in Scottsdale, Arizona. So we are hugely proud of all the progress that we've been able to make. And providing that rehab, that professional rehab care to my patients is like completely my love. Uh, those horses are my my babies and I feel like they're mine <laughs> when they're in, in our care. So we have an amazing staff that helps support all of those horses' needs. Um, I oversee all of their rehab care and their protocol uh, construction, uh, recheck evaluations, recheck imaging, all of the things. I work closely still with all of the referring veterinarians that send in cases and um, everyone pulls the wagon in the same direction in terms of getting these horses an optimized recovery. So thinking back to my grandpa, I think he would be proud now to see the little, little I don't know if you call it an empire, but the rehab centers that we have built and overseen um, because I think it would actually blow his mind. So that's my story. Yeah, that's <laughs> all careful. so impressive. I admire that so much. I mean, I know that a lot goes into every single modality that you've learned and and a lot just there's a lot involved in sports medicine. Um, and so, you know, along that vein, are there common issues that you see coming to your facility or what are the most common that you see? Yeah, I would say that there are certainly a lot of common diagnoses that I get, but I always kind of joke with owners and trainers and like, I only see bad stuff, right? Because mm -hmm. the things that make it to the rehab center are typically things that, you know, no one else may know really what to do with, or maybe doesn't feel like they have a productive strategy for. So I, I work with all different types of horses in the rehab setting. Predominantly, I'm a Western performance horse person by trade, but 
the beauty of rehab is that it's not discipline specific and, and all types of horses suffer athletic injuries, right? So I end up getting to work with really high-end English sport horses, um, really high-end Western performance horses, and everything in between. And all of those horses are there because either someone deeply cares about them and wants to optimize their recovery or they're valuable or their injury is, is really bad and it's beyond the scope of what an owner or a trainer could handle at home. I deal a lot of times with soft tissue injuries. We see a lot of bony injuries as well. You know, occasionally we'll have the fracture repair, various surgical procedures, horses post-op recovering from various surgical procedures. So it really is all across the board in terms of diagnoses that I work with. But that's that's been such an amazing learning opportunity for me from the clinician scientist point of view right seeing all of these different stages of rehab and healing all these different types of horses and getting to know the team that's around each one of these horses right like every single horse comes with a story every single horse comes with a team around it an owner a trainer a farrier someone that may provide some sort of, um, you know, alternative type therapy with them. And by the end of that rehab process, right, I feel like we're all family. <laughs> like yeah. We've been in somewhat of a, of a long-term relationship with each other. So it's very much a case-by-case approach. All rehab protocols that I build are custom and they're based on the horse's clinical exam findings, the diagnosis, and the goal for that horse moving forward. So it's really tough for me to say like, this is the one thing I see the most because it's really all over the board. But if I had to say, what are some of the top issues that I deal with? You know, tendon injuries would, I think probably be number one, hind proximal suspensory injuries and also stifle injuries. I think those are probably our biggest heavy hitters. But again, running the gamut in between of neurologic issues, horses suffering from back pain, even getting the horse that's poor performance and not doing well, not doing right, not happy in life, can't really figure it out. The horse isn't really lame, but it's not really right either. So one of my my favorite things is kind of not being a veterinarian every single day and being a horseman and spending time in the barn, watching those horses, trying to figure out what makes them happy, what makes them unhappy, and just in general, trying to give them a reset on life, right? And, and trying to make things better in terms of overall orthopedic health, mental health, behavioral things, all of all of that. Yeah. And obviously, it's never, I mean, it's never only just one thing when a horse has a lameness. At least when I when I see, I feel like, yeah, like you're saying, there's other stuff going on or, or, you know, their discomfort affects their behavior, their gut, everything like that. So that's really amazing. I didn't even realize how much you encompass, but that's so cool. I'm, you know, I love that. Um, and obviously, you know, owners care so much about their horses. They're, they're trying to do the best thing for them. And, you know, in the last, I don't know, I, I have a horse that has DDFT injuries. So I know in the past, like one of the big things was talking about stall rest and then, you know, eventually incorporating hand walking and building up. Can you talk a little bit about if this is still a best practice or maybe some other exercises and approaches in various cases that you see working better than just resting? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question, Alicia. And I think as the field of sports medicine and rehab has really evolved in the past 10 years, I think we've made leaps and bounds in terms of research and learning about exploring new strategies 
to help these horses heal in an optimized way. I think there's so much new, cool, exciting things that are happening on the rehab side of things, particularly the research that's giving us a lot of evidence and a lot of support that the stall rest and hand walking approach alone is simply not enough to get these horses that optimized healing. So for example, like your DDFT injury, right? Like I get a DDFT case that comes into the barn. I'm focused not only on getting that tendon itself to heal in the best way possible, but I'm actually looking at global strength and strength specifically through the thoracic sling and girdle of that horse. So looking at those major muscle groups that stabilize that tendon below, right, is really an attractive rehab target for us. Because basically, if those horses have improved global strength and they have better balance, better neuromotor control, better timing, all of the things, they're going to be less predisposed to re-injure and they're going to heal in a much more optimized way. And so I think what we as veterinarians used to fixate on as a really granular level in this horse has this very specific localized injury. I think we come at it from way more of a global approach now. So what is their triceps development? How are How is their um, pectoral symmetry? Are they weak on a wither pole exercise? Um, are they restricted in their range of motion through their lower limb? Do they have scar tissue formation? So all of these things culminate in the building of that really custom rehab plan. And there's also been a lot of work done on the human side of things that eccentric loading or gradual controlled lengthening of a tendon um, is really required to optimize healing. So if you are a human with, say, an Achilles tendon injury, right? Your physical therapy provider, your doctor would probably be getting you enrolled in a PT program that incorporates some level of like heel raise exercises, right? So that a human patient will stand with their toes on, on a, a small ledge and perform heel raise and lower exercises. And that's an example of eccentric loading in a human patient. If we think about that concept and we take it to the equine rehab side of things, there's a lots of a lot of ways we can actually simulate that eccentric loading in a gradual and controlled way. And one of those is through wither pull exercises, different balance pad manipulation, work on inclines, work on surface differences, and all of those kinds of things. So there's all of this like nitty gritty stuff that we're starting to incorporate into these professional rehab programs that I truly believe has been a total game changer in how we approach these types of cases. And I was so excited recently. I had a mare that had quite extensive deep digital flexor tendon, navicular bursa, and bone abnormalities. We've been working with this mare from the rehab setting using a lot of these gradual controlled eccentric loading strategies much quicker and much more aggressively than we would have normally otherwise like 10 years ago, right? And got this mare back into a light rehab riding program much quicker than she would have been before. And her recheck MRI was quite impressive in terms of the healing that that tendon, we still have a long ways to go, right? But the healing that that tendon has shown in such a short period of time, it's one of those things that sits and makes you go, hmm, like, what was it, right, that that was the, the silver bullet to this case, so that's just, you know, one example, right, of things that really pump you up as far as being the sports medicine and rehab person, right, that helps that mare. 
So I think those are all strategies. Again, a long-winded answer to your question, but I think there's way more we can do at the end of the day than just the stall rest and the hand walking. And I think until you are tapping into nutrition, foot care, core exercises, balance, neuromotor control, all of those things, I don't really think you can maximize results until you have all of those components. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, it was a broad question anyway, because you see so many different things. So I appreciate you kind of diving into a few different things there. That was great. Um, yeah. yeah. And and honestly, one thing that I I wish I had taken more notes on at NAEP, because I keep trying to recall some of the things you said, and I took some pictures of like slides, and I, I just want to go back to it, because um, I thought it was so valuable, was you mentioned a system of, you know, adding a value to each exercise that you do with a horse that's rehabbing, or I guess even a horse that's coming back into work or in work to make sure you're not doing too much too soon. I don't remember if you had an actual name for that system, but if you could maybe explain what that was and how that worked, I would love to chat about that. Yeah, yeah. So you have touched on my new pet project. Um, This has been something that I've had in the works for a while. Not very many people know about it. Kind of been doing it low key on the side and, you know, after hours, that kind of thing. But this project, the genesis of all of this and, and what you've described, right, is an objective workload scale that I've developed for Western Performance Horses. And the reason that I started to go in this direction was twofold. One, my struggle as a veterinarian providing sports medicine support for high-end athletes, my high-performance group of horses, they would either be in the off-season and coming back, working back towards big horse show season or they'd be recovering from an injury, or maybe they have an old injury that they've been working and managing alongside of that. And I was struggling with my trainers to communicate, like, how much is the right amount to be doing with these horses? That's the million-dollar question, right? How much is just enough? How much is too much? And how do we actually leg these horses up? Because how many times do we see on a discharge summary from a veterinarian, right? Leg the horse back up. Well, that actually means a lot of different things to different people. And we can say things like, yeah, put them back into gradual work. But that doesn't actually capture any of the specifics or any of the particulars that those athletes likely need or require. And there really is not a one-size-fits-all because we all know there's robust athletes that love their job and they are never going to show pain any day of the week. And then we have those more fragile athletes that they want a doctor's note all the time because they're hurt, right? Like They're very, very fragile. So there is no universal recommendations or a one-size-fits-all approach to horses either leaving rehab or just working back to a specific athletic goal. And so I actually attended, it was about a year ago, I attended a really cool um, high-end human sports performance clinic, and it's hosted by Tim Gabbett. And if you're able to link his information to this podcast, that's amazing because I would 10 out of 10 recommend any of his courses. But he is a, I think he has two PhDs, like he's ridiculous. And what he does is help build out training and exercise schedules for athlete, human athletes doing really high-end sports activities. So rugby, the NFL, the NBA, like he's behind the scenes working with these athletes to help build out their comeback schedules. And one of his concepts that he talked about was all of the factors 
that ultimately results in an end workload number for a given athlete. And those exercise variables basically that make up how intense a workout is, right? Is like the time that you do it, any warm up, cool down time, the sport that you were practicing or that you were doing during that time, the maneuvers that you were doing, the purpose behind what you were doing that practice session for your overall perceived intensity of that session, right? And all of those exercise variables. So I took that concept and I actually worked directly with him. He's not a horse guy. He giggles every time I mention horses. He loves horses, <laughs> but he doesn't actually know, you know, anything about them professionally. And so I picked his brain and said, hey, I want to develop a scale for horses that will capture these exercise variables that you're talking about so that we can actually start to objectively track these horses' workload data. And what we ended up doing was coming up with all of those exercise variables that I kind of mentioned. It's a scale of intensity from zero to four. And so the there's seven exercise variables, scale of zero to four. So it ends up being a, a workload scale of zero to 28. So kind of like counting points, right? And you get a resultant score, and but you're also able to see where those changes in the highest numbers came from. So, for example, the, the Western performance, like the all-around horse scale, is the time of ridden work, warm-up, cool-down time, the primary sport that they were practicing, the primary maneuvers they were doing during that riding session, the training or riding type everywhere from just maintenance legging up all the way to the four is like showing in an actual open amateur youth class, a scale for rider perceived intensity. And then the thing that ever all of the trainers hate <laughs> is that I've put a rider weight uh, column in there. Yeah. And so the zero is the rider themselves weighs less than hundred pounds, right? And a four is the rider weighing 250 pounds or more. So that's a big difference, right? Like yeah. what is the weight that that horse is actually carrying around? So at the end of each riding session, the trainer goes through, checks the boxes, and we end up with a score for that work session for that horse. And what we're able to do over time is graph that. And it's been really as an exploratory data piece for me so far, where I've, I have a handful of trainers that I work super closely with. I know all of the horses in their program and I manage them all year long. Those types of programs I've been saying, hey, collect data for me. Like, tell me what you're doing with these horses so I can learn what your athletic expectations are moving forward. So that's been really interesting. And then the horses that have left my rehab program and have entered back into training, I'll say things to them like, okay, I need this horse to be between a zero and an eight for the next two weeks on the workload scale. And so if you look at that scale, um, there's no way that they can do excessive, quote, excessive lunging, say, or like really intense things and still stay within the eight score range. So I'm not actually telling them what to do with that horse. I'm letting them pick from these variables, here are the things that you can pick to ultimately get you to the score. But please don't take this horse, you know, above a score of eight. And I'm, I'm just making this up. So that I think has been the single most useful thing that I have done in terms of trainer veterinarian collaboration and distilling things down to what we're actually doing with these horses. And it's funny because one of my closest trainers, and he would totally giggle and know I was talking about him if he ever listened to this podcast, but 
he is a numbers guy, right? And he does really high-end trail um, it, within AQHA. So he knows a score that he's going to go out and do a trail pattern, right? Like numbers make sense to him. And this is the first thing that I've done. I think that's really connected with him and made a lot of sense in terms of like, oh, it's just a score. So like, I need to stay within the score for this day for this horse. And then we're going to build to that. And the ultimate goal, right, is that we don't have injuries at horse shows or we were able to avoid injuries, be way more proactive rather than reactive. So if I know a horse can maintain a score of 15 at home very, very easily, then asking for that level at a horse show should be no problem. Granted, there's always the wild card. But all the time I see horses at horse shows that are trying to compete that are nowhere near fit enough. And then everyone is surprised when it's hurt, right? Well, it looks like a couch potato. It shouldn't <laughs> be expected to do not that much work at home and then get to the horse show and do all of this work, right? Right. So that really, again, long-winded answer of um, what that workload scale is. It is still very much under construction and I've not released it publicly for anyone quite yet because it's not ready and I'm still figuring it out and I'm still tweaking it and I still have to validate a lot of the intensity type work because the things that I perceive as being intense for a horse to athletically do may not actually be that intense uh, based on heart rate variability, stride length, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm actually working with, you know, getting some objective data around some of these sports specific maneuvers to help us dial that in a little bit more. But that's the nuts and bolts of it. Um, and I think that scale can be modified for every single sport. You know, I'm I'm not an expert within English sport horses, so I'm going to need to recruit um, people that know more about those discipline specific um, nuances than I do. But my goal is to really, you know, that we have these scales and we can all use them and learn from them. Yeah. And I am super excited for when that is available, even just to kind of take a peek at it and see what your, you know, what different values are added to what exercise is. And I think that would be super helpful for so many cases. So that's really great yeah. that you're working on that. Um, yeah. And I guess, I mean, those kind of are the the main questions that I had from NAEP. And I also want to be, you know, cognizant of your time. Um, but I was wondering if you had any other advice or any advice in general for owners or veterinarians dealing with a difficult rehab case. Um, and even if that's like, do you offer consults or anything like that? Um, you know, I don't know if you had anything to share there. Yeah. I mean, I spend a lot of difficult days in rehab yeah. <laughs> and a lot of days banging my head against the wall, right? Like rain, rehab is not rainbows and butterflies every single day, right? Rehab is hard. Long-term follow-up can be so humbling and you can just be heartbroken most of the time, right? Because you really want all things to go well for your patients and your clients and all the things. So I guess, um, I think the best things that I would have to share to either veterinarians or owners is to listen to your gut. Um, if you're in a situation working with a horse and it's just not making sense, or there is that little voice that's telling you something, right? Like listen to it. I think those little voices in your gut are always there for a reason. And when I have listened to those little voices, I've made really good choices. And when I've not listened to those, uh, voices, I've regretted it in the past, right? In terms of owner advice, my advice would be be patient with your veterinarian. They are working as hard as they possibly can 
to help that horse and no one wants to see that horse get better more than you do and your veterinarian so it would it would just be a little bit of like a patience talk and then for the veterinarian i would say don't be so hard on yourself there are going to be non-responders or horses that do not respond that do not get better no matter what you do even though they should and so i, I think we can't take those losses uh, super personally we've we've got to learn from them what we can and then you know, move on with what makes the most sense in those situations. So I, my money is always on the horse to get better. My, my bet always is with them, um, to pull through for us. But, um, yeah, I think that's, I think that's the advice I would have. You asked really good questions, Leisha, and I hope I met the expectation in terms of insightful responses, but, it's hard and you're not alone. And I promise you guys are not the only ones struggling with difficult cases. I have five in my barn right now that are giving me ulcers. So um, <laughs> the struggle is real. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we all can say like, whether owner, veterinarian, farrier, whatever, like we've all probably lost sleep over a lame horse or two in our time. So yeah, I really appreciate your time. And I mean, I, I'm looking forward to seeing that, um, the scale published and do you, I think you had mentioned a few books when we were at NAAP to also look at for exercises or did you have one? Yeah. Yeah. So for owners, there is a little, it's like a handbook actually. I think you can get it on Amazon. It's called activate your horse's core. Um, Hillary Clayton and Narelle Stubbs offered that it's amazing. And it goes through every single core exercise, why you would do it, what muscles are being activated, proper technique, all of the things, so I really like that book. Um, for veterinarians looking to learn more about rehab and like the modalities themselves, I really like um, canine rehab and physical therapy. I think it's called, it's the Millis and Levine textbook. And I know you're like, you're an equine person. Why are you talking about a dog book? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not, do- not all of the chapters are canine specific. So many of the chapters are just about um, tens therapy and cryotherapy and laser therapy. And it really does an excellent job of reviewing the literature behind each of those modalities and also gives you guidance into settings. So I think that is really awesome. And then there's also a vet clinics of North America that I think came out in 2016 and, um, Elizabeth Davidson and Melissa King were the editors on that book. And it, I think it's called equine rehabilitation, but it is also an excellent resource. It has back to work exercise schedules. It has some protocol framework type stuff goes into kinesio taping and, and all of the, all of the things. So those would probably be my, my heavy hitters and books that I use all of the time that I think would be really valuable for someone looking to get more information to, to seek out. Yeah, those all sound great. And I I do have a few of those, but there's some that I still want to get. So thank you so much for the reminder. Um, And yeah, I mean, I super appreciate you being willing to hop on the call. I'm so glad that we were able to make this happen. Um, And I look forward to hearing more from you about that scale and just following you in general. I think that your work is amazing. And I've been impressed every time I've heard you talk. So thank you again for for letting me chat with you today. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Alicia. It's been an absolute honor. Well, I hope you have a great rest of your day and a good weekend. Awesome. Have a good rest of your day. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Bye. Yep, bye-bye. 
I always say that I'm slightly more hoof obsessed than the average person, and chances are, if you're listening to a hoof care podcast, you are too, so we should probably be friends. Feel free to find me on Facebook or email me at thehumblehoof at gmail.com.